called a repairman one day. We had some things that needed to be done at the house. And after I explained to him what we needed done, he asked me what I thought was a rather strange question. He asked me, what day would be good for me to come by and do that for you? I said, today would be a really good day for you to come and do that for me. Now, I wasn't trying to be sarcastic. Well, maybe a little bit. But think about it. I needed something to be fixed. If I needed it fixed tomorrow, I would have called tomorrow. I called today because I needed it to be fixed today. Today would be the best day. As you remember, Psalms 119 is divided into 22 different sections, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each division has eight verses. All of those eight verses in the original language, the Hebrew language, start with the same Hebrew letter. Now, as we begin here in verse 9 this morning, verse 9 starts with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Hebrew letter Beth. If you've ever played the game Hangman, the Hebrew letter Beth looks kind of what you start out that game with. It, it kind of has that same shape. But it's, it's like our letter B. We, we looked at A last time. Or now we're looking at the letter B of the Hebrew uh, language. And this section starts by answering a very important question. What day is a good day to start living for the Lord? Here's how the passage begins by answering that question here in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's the best day to start living for the Lord? Well, you already know the answer. Today is the best day. In fact, the earlier the better. You cannot start living for the Lord too soon. This section begins with a question. How can a young man keep his way pure? Uh, much of what we often call the wisdom literature of the Bible, that includes the book of Proverbs and, and several of the Psalms and, and the book of Ecclesiastes and other books as well. Much of that literature is written as it is, would be advice to a young person. Sometimes it's written as a father giving advice to his son. Sometimes it's written as a master teacher giving advice to his student. Uh, that, that's a format that we often see, and it's the format that we find here in verse 9. A question, how does a young man keep his way pure? Now, obviously, this is not just advice for a young man. This advice would apply to anyone. How does anybody keep their way, their life, their living pure? How do you keep your life consistent? How do you keep your life on track? And the answer is very clear. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. Right there at the end of the verse. How do you keep your way pure? By living according to God's word. Now, two important truths are emphasized here in verse 9. First, there's an emphasis on the authority and the validity of God's word for our life. Every verse, as we've been looking through this psalm, every verse in Psalm 119 describes a 
characteristic of the word of God. And verse 9 is no exception. God's word is the highest standard for human conduct. And the psalmist's point is, why would you want anything less than the very, very best? We get to choose how we're going to live. Would you want to accept a life that is less than what it could be? Uh, that's like somebody coming up to you on the street and they say, Hey, I've got something for you. You can have this dollar bill or you can have this hundred dollar bill. Which one of those do you want? Well, you know, it's a pretty obvious choice. I think I'm going to take the hundred. Thank you very much. We want to take the best one. We want to make the best choice. We want that which has the greatest value to us. So why would we debate following God's word? There's nothing better. You will not find a better, more fulfilling life than you will find right here in God's Word. Which leads to a second very important truth. You want to find that sooner rather than later. Here's the thing. I have been in ministry Goodness, it's almost, it's coming on 40 years now. And, and I have never met anyone, not, not a single time, have I ever heard someone coming to the end of their life, having turned their life over to the Lord years ago, maybe they came to the Lord as a child or, or early in their adulthood, and now they've lived a long life for the Lord. I've never one time heard a person say, boy, I wish I'd have waited around to come to Christ. Look at all the stuff I missed in my life I could have been doing. Not once have I ever heard anybody say that. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, boy, I'm so grateful for how the Lord has blessed me. I'm so grateful for all the Lord is doing. I'm looking forward to be with Him in heaven. I've heard people say that many, many times, but I've never, ever heard a person regret having come to Christ early in their life. On the other hand, on many occasions, as I have been there with someone who is coming to the end of their life, who came to Christ later in life. Maybe they uh, didn't have an opportunity to hear the Lord. Maybe they ran away from the Lord for a long, long time. Maybe they didn't hear the gospel until uh, late in their time. But they came to the Lord later in their life. And though they are tremendously grateful for God's grace in their life, though they are wonderfully thankful that the Lord found them, I have many times heard someone say, Oh, I wish that I had known Jesus sooner. I wish that I had come to faith a long, long time ago. You won't ever regret living for the Lord. You will deeply regret every day you spend away from Him. We can regret many things in life. We can all regret that we did not buy stock in Walmart back when it was a little grocery store in Arkansas. <laughs> that would have been a really good buy back then, and we didn't do that. And so we can wish that we had and regret that we didn't. We can regret that we never sat down and typed out the great American novel that we've always been planning to write. We can regret that. This is different. There's no way anyone could have known 
when Walmart was just starting out, that it was going to become what it's become today. There's no way anybody could have known that then. And how many people actually sit down and actually read the great American novel? God's Word is different. It is always right to live according to God's command. Every time. You will never be wrong if you live according to this book. Ever. And the best time to start? Today. You won't regret it. You will regret putting it off. How do I know that? Because you can't possibly make a better choice. There's no way that you could choose something better than what God has already told us in His Word. So you won't regret it because you will have chosen the very, very best. Now, I suspect most of us in this room already know that. You came here this morning because you wanted to be inspired to do what you already knew was the right thing to do. You know it's right to live by God's Word. That's why you came today. You wanted to praise Him. You wanted to worship Him. But you also wanted to leave this morning inspired to go into your next week seeking to do what God wants you to do because you know that's the very, very best. So guess what? The Bible gives us that inspiration. I'm going to call it some heart strategies this morning. Some strategies to live according to God's Word. We know that's the best thing to do. We know today's the day we ought to start doing it. We know that we will regret not having done it if we don't. So we want to do that. So here's some ways to do so that the Bible gives us. Some some heart strategies in these next two verses, verse 10 and 11. Here's one, verse 10. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And then another heart strategy in verse 11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. First, the first heart strategy that's given here is to make a complete commitment to God's Word. We today even use this kind of language to describe a complete commitment. We talk about making a wholehearted commitment to something, and that means, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on this. I, I, I'm going to do this with everything I've got, a wholehearted Commitment. We often say, I promise to do this with all my heart. Again, we're saying, with everything that I am, I'm going to seek to do this. I promise you, I'm going to fulfill this commitment with everything that I am. That's what we mean when we use that word. Or, to put it negatively, sometimes we say, well, that's just a half-hearted commitment. And what do we mean? Well, we mean, well, that person's not all in on this. They're, They're not really committed to it. They're just kind of halfway doing it. We use this same kind of language today that the psalmist used here in verse 10. I will seek you, how? With all my heart. When we make a commitment to Christ, we even talk about it with this language. We say, I'm giving my heart to Jesus. What do we mean by that? We mean, I am giving everything that I am to Jesus. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not going to halfway do this. I'm not going to think about living for Jesus anymore. I'm giving my heart to Him because I am giving everything that I am to Him. That's what it means to make Jesus the Lord of our life. As the old saying goes, you either make Jesus Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. 
The word the psalmist uses in verse 10 for the word stray. I see. He, he, he gives this prayer, Lord, do not let me stray from your commands. I want to be all in on this. That, that word that he uses for stray, it's a word that comes out of shepherding. It's a word that describes a sheep. That as they've been sitting there, you know, eating along on the grass and they're not really watching what's going on, all of a sudden they look up and, and the flock of sheep has moved on and they're all by themselves. You see, sheep have no natural defenses. They don't have sharp teeth. They can't really bite much of anything. If they kicked you, it would hurt a little bit, but it wouldn't really hurt all that much. And they're not very fast or very agile. They, they can kind of move around, but they, they're not very good at getting away from anything. Certainly not from a wolf or from a mountain lion. So a defense for a sheep is to be in the flock and be in the middle of the flock. <laughs> you don't want to be on the outside edges. That's where the wolves are. You want to be right in the middle of everybody. <laughs> And that word stray, it means that sheep has gotten out of the middle of the flock, even gotten out of the edge of the flock, and now it's all by himself. And he looks up and goes, whoa, wait a minute, this is not where I want to be. I am defenseless. And so the psalmist cries out, Lord, don't let that happen in my life. I don't want to stray from your word. I want to be right in the middle protected by your authority and power and promise for me. I will be right in the center of your will. That's what the psalmist is praying, and that's what our prayer should be. This is the first heart strategy. To pray, God, I don't want to halfway live for you. I don't want to part way give my life for you. I'm all in, Lord, with everything I am, with everything that you will give me, with everything that I will ever be. I am in for you all the way, a wholehearted commitment. That's the first heart strategy. The second is one we've heard before. We actually saw this in the last section, and the Bible says it here again. You know, when the Bible says something once, we ought to listen. Really ought to be all the Bible needs to say it one time, and we ought to say, yeah, that's what the Bible says. That's what I ought to do. But when the Bible says something a second time, we ought to perk up and say, oh, this must be pretty important. Well, it says it again in verse 11. A very specific strategy to hide God's word in our hearts. To hide something in this context, it means to have something that you value very, very much, a treasure, a, a special possession, something that you would never want to lose, something that you want to protect, that you want to make sure is always there. And so you find a special place for it, a place where it cannot be removed. That's what we should do with God's word. To hide it in our heart. Where it cannot be removed. Where it's always going to be there. Jesus understood the value of God's word. When you read the passage of his temptation experience in the wilderness, how did Jesus protect himself? There's a lot of ways he could have done. He could have called down lightning bolts. and He he could have had Satan swallowed up in in a hole there in the middle of the wilderness. He could have had a boulder come rolling down off a mountain and squash him. A lot of things he could have done. But what did he do? He quotes Scripture. That's how much Jesus treasured God's Word. When he was at the moment of crisis in his ministry, and that's what the temptation experience was, it was a moment in which Jesus could either fulfill the ministry, the mission that his father had given him, or it would have all ended in that moment. 
And in that moment where he needed to move forward, his treasure was God's word that he had hidden in his heart. I had this verse, Psalms 119.11, stuck on my wall when I was growing up, literally stuck on my wall. It was one of those crafts that uh, we did, I don't know if it was Vacation Bible School or, or Sunday School, but where you have a piece of cardboard and you take the Elmer's glue bottle and you write the words on the cardboard and then you take the bottle of glitter and dump it on top of it. And then you shake off all the glitter and, and, and the glitter that didn't get on the glue falls off, but the glitter that gets on the glue stays there and it forms the words that, that you wrote down. We, we did that craft in whatever class it was that I was in that day, Sunday School or whatever. And I kept that. All the way to when I graduated from high school, it was right there in my room, up on my wall. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We had the King James Version back then is what we used. But I had, every day as I was getting ready to go to school, I'd look up there and there'd be my glitter. <laughs> Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's one of those spiritual disciplines that we often set aside. We talked about this when we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, how, how so often as adults we, we kind of leave this. We think, well, I did that back when I was a kid, but I don't need to do that anymore. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Hide God's Word in your heart. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago there's a wonderful app that you can use called the Bible Memory app. And again, if you're using the version uh, thing that we have here, it's got a link for that, just like it did a couple of weeks ago. But I, there's another great strategy. Maybe you're not computer literate or you know, don't want to use a smartphone, don't really like all that stuff. You don't need any computer knowledge for this particular strategy. You, you, you don't need any kind of technical abilities. All you need is a piece of paper, a pencil, and some scotch tape. Here's what you do. As you read through the Bible and you find verses that, that God leads uh, in, in your heart that you really want to remember, you, you want to keep in your mind, just take that piece of paper and write it down. And then take a piece of scotch tape and hide God's Word in your life. For example, today I was driving to church, and, and where I, I drive, I drive, there's part of the way that I go that I drive right into the eastern sun. I mean, it's just shining right in my windshield. So what do you do when that happens? You reach up there and you pull down your visor. Well, just take one of those scriptures that you've written and tape it right there on the inside of that visor. So that every time you're driving in the sun, you can flop down that visor and say, oh yeah, I remember the Son of God. Hide God's word. Other places to hide it. This is a good one. You can write them on little cards, poke, poke a hole in one corner, and put it on your key ring. Now think about how many times you pull your key ring out of your pocket or out of your purse. When you open the door, when you get in the car, there's all kinds of times that you're pulling that key ring out. And as you are doing so, as you pull that key ring out, and you look there and there's that verse that you're, you're seeking to hide in your heart. And you remember, oh, this is the key to living for God. Hiding God's Word in my heart. There's all kinds of places you can hide God's Word. You can tape it on your bathroom mirror. You can, oh, this is what I like really well. You can tape it on your TV remote control. Is there anything in your house that everybody picks up more than the TV remote control? And every time they pick it up, there it'll be. I, I hid God's Word right here so that I could hide God's Word in my heart. Just think of all the places you could put it. I had someone come up to me after the 8.30 service. I had a great idea to tape a verse on the back of your phone. And then you can just have it every time you take the phone out of your pocket, you've got it right there. Hide God's Word in your life so you can hide God's Word in your heart.
Because, folks, I'm telling you, there is no better day to start living for God than today. Heavenly Father, help us. This is something we all struggle with. We, we know that we should live according to your word, but so often we don't. So help us, Lord, to hide your word in our heart. Help us, God, to be completely committed to you that we might truly live for you today. Help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.